Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Welcome together to a time of studying God's Word and learning from God's Word because it is the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to be in Genesis 17 as we continue the story of Abraham and God's relationship with Abraham, his committed relationship with Abraham. But first, like the last couple of weeks, I would like to tell you about our brand new fundraising platform our fundraising link, which is Patreon. There are a number of expenses with uh, even a small, humble ministry like this. And by God's good grace and his calling, I'm trying to be faithful and to walk the path that he has set before me and this brand new ministry. And I believe that is to grow it so that the message can go out and so that people would hear be convicted by God to repent of their sin, trust in Jesus Christ, and be forever changed. So I welcome you to consider, I definitely welcome your prayers, and I welcome you to consider becoming a regular contributor via our Patreon link, which is both in the show notes for today's episode, as well as you can go direct to it at patreon.com forward slash into the word ministries. Let's open in prayer. And then please open your Bibles with me to Genesis 17. O Lord, our Lord, our wonderful God, our personal God, the one who knows intimately everything going on inside of us, in our minds, and in our hearts, with our feelings. God, you know our struggles. You know, the pressures that we're under from family, from friends, from work, even from church. And Lord, you care about all the aspects of our life. The one who has created us from eternity past, the one who knew about us from eternity past and then created us before we were born, the one who knows us and wants to have a personal, close, abiding relationship with us every single day of our lives and into eternity. God, you care about us. Your love is so deep and so abiding and so wonderful and so detailed in all these different aspects of our life. God, you know us And you love us so well because you know us completely and you made us and you know all things. And we celebrate and we worship you today, O Lord, our God. Holy Spirit, please illuminate the scripture to teach us what you want to say to each one of us today by your goodwill 
your good grace. We pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For two weeks, we've been in Genesis chapter 17. And today, please open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. There's some familiar language in this passage, of course, and if you've listened, uh, participated with us in the last couple of uh, week's teachings, you will recognize that God gave Abram a new name when he changed his name to Abraham. Chapter 17, verse 5, this was two weeks ago. Now God tells Abraham that his wife will also have a new name. Now, it's not always in Scripture that we see this, folks. It's not always that we see specifically that God gives this person a new name. God gives this person a new name. We do see it multiple times besides Abram and Sarai. But what assuredly is known for all of us in Christ is that when we come to Christ, when God invites us to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and to lay everything down, to lay our lives down at the throne of his cross. We do have a new identity. It is basically as though we had a new name. It is a complete change of our lives to the glory of God. We are changed in so many ways. And this naming here of Abraham, that he would be a father of a multitude of nations. This naming for Sarai become Sarah, also representing the multitude. God is doing something here, and he's changing their names to affirm to them, you are new in me. This covenant, this covenant that I have talked about repeatedly with you, this covenant which we have, Abraham, this covenant that I've called you out and I've called you to this, called you to a personal relationship with me, called you to walk before me and be faithful, to be blameless. 
This is your new identity. This is your identity in me. Your name shall be Abraham. And then he speaks to, he speaks of Sarai. He's speaking to Abraham again here in verse 16. And God speaks, how does he start this about Sarai? How does 16 start? I will bless her. God speaks kindness toward Sarah first. I will bless her. And he specifically tells Abraham again, that God will give Abraham a son. How? By his union with his wife, Sarah. And as many commentaries, and you may have read, will note that both Sarai and Sarah are similar versions of the same name, both perhaps meaning princess in definition. Sarai means princess. And the supposition is that, the presupposition is that Sarah also means princess, but we also see in God's language here in today's passage, we see that Sarah's name change runs parallel with Abraham's name change, that he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And God says it right here, that she will be essentially the mother of a multitude of nations. She shall become nations, he says. Look at this. Look at this here in 16. Let me read 16. I will bless her. God starts with blessing. Sarah before ran to sin. She sinned outside the marriage covenant with her husband. She proposed the sin. Abraham participated in the sin. And then she was bitter. Go figure. And how does God approach this passage today? After all of that, it's been a while, but after all of that, God says, I will bless her. Folks, that is love. That is love. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. God is still faithful to the covenant that he has promised. And what does God say again here? I will bless her twice in the same verse. And she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. And you will recognize this language here because that is what God said to Abraham. That he will be the father of a multitude of nations and kings shall come from his line. God is affirming here to them both what he is doing what he has promised in the covenant, what he is carrying through in the covenant, that he is carrying through in the covenant because Abraham needs the reminder. Obviously so, Abraham needs the reminder. Verse 17, Abraham falls on his face. Most of the time I would take this to be worship. And perhaps it was simply being in the presence of God, which is powerful. It has an effect on a human. Abraham falls down, and then he laughs, as if in unbelief, though God had said now for 24 years that God would give Abraham an offspring. 
And Abraham questions God's declaration. Why is it that any follower of God would question God's specific word to him? This is a specific prophecy. Is it because Abraham has his valuation and and his uh, belief system on on an unequal plane? That he has put pagan and biological reasoning above God? the author and creator of all things. And it is a sober reminder for us, believers now, today. How do we respond when God tells us something? How do we respond when we read God's word? Do we read it with a sobriety and a fervent reverence before the Lord? Do we accept it as fact? Do we accept it as truth? Do we believe that even in the mystery that we can hold on to this firmly and say, yes, God, I believe your word is true. Yes, God, your word that testifies to who you are and what you are about your mission, about your glory, about your working of with humanity through unusual circumstances, that you choose the lowliest among men to do your work through on earth. Well, that first of all should give encouragement to all of us that we think perhaps little of us that how could God use someone like me when when God knows what I have done and God knows everything, so he, of course, he knows that. How could God use someone like me Well, that tends to be exactly the type of people God prefers to use because at least they understand that they are sinners before a holy God. It was the religious leaders at the time of Jesus and the religious leaders also in the Old Testament who tend to be the stumbling block before God where God wanted to do the work through men. God wanted to do the work through the religious leaders, through the church, through those who were supposed to be shepherding and serving the church. And yet they became so conceited, so concerned with how they were perceived in the eyes of the people that they took their eyes off of God Almighty. And they lost the genuine reverence they lost their humility before the Lord. For see, you cannot be conceited and proud in your heart and worship God. You can't do both. And Abraham is on the ground. It's showing with all respect and regard a position of humility before the Lord who is speaking to him. And he laughs. And he says, shall a son be born to a man who is 100 years old, shall a child? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham knows what is biologically possible and what is not biologically possible in the eyes of the world. 
And that is giving his framework for operation in this conversation. And then verse 18, after questioning God, Abraham seems to offer God an alternative. God said, your wife, Sarah, is going to bear you a son. And Abraham pipes up about Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Perhaps he was saying, if you're saying, God, that we are to have a son, why, couldn't, why can't it be Ishmael? Who Abraham, of course, had the union with Hagar, not with his wife. But this is a repeated derivation. This is a repeated falling short, repeated sin for the same reason it was before. See, God had originally promised Abraham that he would have an offspring all the way back when Abraham was 75 years old at the start of Genesis chapter 12. And then at the age of 85 to 86 years, Abraham went around his monogamous marriage covenant with Sarah, which is good and right to have a monogamous marriage. One man, one woman. This is Genesis 2. This is God's standard for marriage. And he went around that, which was not good, and slept with Hagar, Sarah's servant. And that, by the way, at the instruction and the proposition by Sarah to perhaps get an offspring by circumventing the marriage covenant. And God said, how did he respond? No. Now Abraham seems to ask why Ishmael cannot be the offspring. Instead of Sarah needing to carry a child in pregnancy at 90 years old. But again, that's because his mind is focused on biology. His mind is focused on science. His mind is focused on how it has always been, or at least in his lifetime. His mind is not focused on the promises of God. Verse 19, God responds emphatically, no. And then he reiterates that what he said in verse 16 will indeed come to pass. And now with specificity, this new son shall be called Isaac. You know what Isaac means? You know what that name means? He laughs. Which I think is almost a testament to how Abraham chose to respond to what God had made very clear about the prophecy. He laughed because Abraham laughed. You see, God in this, and God always knew this because God knows all things and God is omniscient from eternity past to eternity future, including the full span of Abraham's life. God is going to defy science. He's going to defy nature because God is absolutely in control of all things at all times. And God has a plan. And this covenant that he made with Abraham includes an offspring. It includes an offspring under the very sanctity of the marriage covenant. 
because God established that too. And while the laws of nature and science are followed the great majority of time in our world, let me ask you, how do you see God's dominion? His abilities? How do you see God's command? His position of authority? There's a lesson to be learned and contemplated for us in this too. Are we limiting what God wants to do because in our heart, we put, say, science on the throne instead of God? Are we limiting what God wants to do through us in the world because we have far too small a view of our God? God is not limited, and God will act in abundance and extravagance when it is his will to do so because God does what he wants when he wants, because God can do all things and anything at any time. So as believers, we ought to keep watchful eyes and hopeful hearts to see our God act at any given moment, whether in the normal realm of circumstances and what we see in everyday life as normative, but equally so in the extraordinary. Because the extraordinary happens on earth also. Because our God is not bound. And for those who don't think of things in this way so much, how do we think of the Bible's description that Jesus will one day return in the clouds and all the world will see him return? If we believe our God, if we believe his scripture, then we know that God can do anything at any time. And if we believe what he has said he will do, then our mind and our heart are following our God. And that is really what faith is. Faith is the steady belief of our God. That God is who he says he is, not what mankind puts onto the label of God. And if your view on God, your representation of God is what you see through Hollywood movies and production, in so many productions that come out of California, out of Hollywood, you do not have the accurate representation of our God. For that, you need to read the Holy Bible. God tells us who he is. He shows us who he is. And don't miss the second part of verse 19. This is very special here. God said, at the start of 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. God said, no, it's not going to be Ishmael, Sarah, your son. As if Abraham needed God to spell it out, God spells it out just to make it abundantly clear. No, it's not going to be from Hagar. It's not going to be from any other woman, your wife. The marriage covenant you have with your wife, she is going to 
bear the child of the promise. And now we have a name. You are to call his name Isaac. Second half of verse 19. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. For someone who has struggled to believe that God would give him a son by his own wife, Sarah, for 24 years, Abraham went back and forth struggling with this. God adds this specific line here as just another affirmation. That what God said to Abraham in chapter 15, 18, and 19, and let's read this. This was after the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between these pieces at night. When God was speaking to Abraham and he said, on that day, scripture says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then it goes on to list the 10 tribes that currently occupied the land. And then God reiterates and adds to this in chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, which we read two weeks ago. Let's read this again. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God says this, Isaac, whom Sarah will deliver as the child of the promise, he will be in the line of the everlasting covenants which God promised Abraham in verse 7. He says it very clearly here in verse 19. You should call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God is saying, I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. It may have been 24, 25 years, God is the same God. The covenant is going to be fulfilled. It is being fulfilled by God, and it will be fulfilled, and it will be an everlasting covenant. Because God's covenant, as long as it is kept by the people, see, sometimes God says it is an everlasting covenant, and sometimes with different covenants from God, there are stipulations that if the people break the covenant, now we're talking about first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. If the people break the covenant, then the covenant will not be kept. But one of the beautiful aspects of our God here in this everlasting covenant that he is making with Abraham is this is an everlasting covenant. This testifies to the heart of our God. He loves you today. He loved you yesterday. He will love you tomorrow. God does not 
change. Scripture says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that not one iota of the law will pass away. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. And all of this is the prophecy for the child who was born outside the marriage covenant. God is so loving, folks. God's great love and his mercy and his grace and his provision runs very deep. Can you see the incredible love of God in this? Despite the fact that Sarah proposed sin to Abraham, that he might sleep with her servant, Hagar, despite the fact that Abraham didn't object but actually slept with Hagar, forsaking his marriage covenant with Sarah, regardless of if she was the one to propose it or not, he should have refused. But despite that, despite the fact that Hagar sinned and participated in this, Despite all of this, God chooses to listen to Abraham's request that Ishmael would be taken care of by God. God says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. And behold, I have blessed him. That's past tense. He has already blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. We spoke before, quick aside, we spoke before about the union that Abraham had with Hagar and that that resulted in a son, Ishmael, and that this would derivate off from the, land, from the line, the covenantal line of Abraham, and that this would splinter off and become the believing line for what is today Islam. And some of these passages that we read like this, this verse right here, verse 20, could be very confusing and could be very mysterious to Bible-believing Christians when they read that the Lord has blessed Ishmael in this way and that he will make Ishmael into a nation, a multitude of nations, that he shall father 12 princes and this can be confusing and this can be mysterious. And I've wrestled with this a bit myself as well. Here's what I think on the surface. I think that God blessed Ishmael in terms of providing for him and that as he had said to Abraham, even though Abraham went outside the marriage covenant, though he rushed into something because of Sarah and because he chose to participate, and this was outside the marriage covenant of God, 
that God, so ever gracious and so loving, still chose to bless him, but not in the way of Isaac, not in the way of the covenantal line of the people of God. I do not believe that God led Ishmael and led his line into paganism, into another religion, into the line of Islam. I think that the people chose that. And therein lies a very strong caution to us all. There is predestination and there is free will. And I may have just lost half of my audience for all sorts of different reasons right there. But let me explain. God knows all things. God chooses. Absolutely, God chooses. The Bible talks about predestination. The God, God chooses us. That we cannot believe in God unless God comes to us first and offers that invitation and allows our mind and our heart and our spirit to understand the death on the cross for our sin of Jesus Christ and the incredible love of God. And then I believe that we respond in our free will that God provides to us. So I'm kind of a both and on this topic. That God reaches down and he reaches down and he reaches down and he comes all the way right to our heart. That God has done everything. He's the creator of all things. He sent Jesus, that Jesus came willingly and obediently to earth to die on a cross for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. We couldn't atone for our own sin. We could not make peace again with God the Father, God himself had to do that. And Jesus did. And because of that, now we can respond in the free will of choosing God back with love. And even though God blesses them numerically, I do believe that it was that line that chose whether or not to follow God. And we know that in the line of Islam that they chose not to follow God, but to follow another religion. And God gives all of us choice. I do believe that God chooses us and will we because it's a relationship, and it is only a relationship when you are with God, when you believe in God. That is a relationship. It's two ways. It's both ways. God comes to us and chooses us, and do we choose him back? It's kind of like marriage. Unless you're in a closed society with arranged marriages only, Marriage is founded in the choosing from both people to be in the marriage covenant. And that is the beautiful, wondrous aspect of marriage, is that you're both committed to it. 
And that's the way that I look at our relationship with God, God's relationship with us. It's a relationship of love. Because if God wanted robots, he could have had robots that didn't have any response but to do what they were mechanically programmed to do. No. We see so early, even in the Garden of Eden, that God allows choice. Why? Because in the opportunity for choice, in the opportunity, or rather an opportunity cost, you now have opportunity for love. And before, you would not specifically have had that because there was no other option. But when you have other options, now when we respond in faith, when we respond in humility, when we respond in love to God, now it's a love relationship. God has always loved us. And that has never changed. God has always loved us. But when we love him back, now it's a love relationship, two-way relationship, or i.e. a relationship. In verse 21, God makes clear again that Ishmael may be a son of Abraham, but the child of the promise is Isaac. It will be Isaac, it is Isaac, it has always been Isaac. And God will continue the line of the covenant through Isaac and not through Ishmael. God makes it clear here that this is God's promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And now after all this time, after 25 years of waiting, God now specifies a timeline for Isaac's birth. One more year. 25 years from the original prophecy in chapter 12. God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham and Sarah. And folks, the child of the promise is the child of the promise. There will be a child, and this is the one who was promised. Abraham struggled with doubt. Then again, how patient would we have been over 25 years of waiting, two and a half decades? That's a long time. How sure in faith would we have been if God had promised a child to us and we were past the ages of procreation in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of biology? Well, the focus, the matter is, where is the focus? The focus is on God. The focus is on faith. Patiently waiting. Patiently believing. Hoping not in anything else or anyone else, but hoping in our God. God follows his covenants. He is faithful to his covenants. 
Abraham was called by God to be in relationship with him. Abraham was sent by God to the land that God would give him, the promised land. Abraham married Sarah in a monogamous marriage covenant until the later incident with Hagar did not go outside that. God made a covenant with Abraham, chapter 15. And God said that it would be the son of Abraham and Sarah who would be the child of the promise, continuing the line of the covenant. And to Abraham, he said, and about Isaac, he said, it would be an everlasting covenant. And to their offspring after them. God is reminding Abraham, I am steady. I am sure. When I say something, you can believe it. God's timing is not our timing not our preferred timing. How many of you have been waiting for something for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years? There are some of us who, are, who have been waiting for things that long. There are some of us whose hearts ache at night as we try to sleep. And this is still a burden that we carry along with us every single day. Life is not found in this world's definition of timelines. It's not found in this world's definition of identity. It's not found in the world's definition practically of anything. But we can find all of this in our God. And we long for the day. We long for the day when this chaotic world, this world which is embracing more and more lawlessness, wickedness, paganism, evil, all sorts of evil. We long for the day when our God will return, when Jesus will return. When will that be? Guess what? Like Abram, Abraham and Sarah, originally, when he was told by God in chapter 12, we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. And God says, be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Be doing the work that the Father has set out for you to do. Because no man knows the day or the hour but my Father who is in heaven alone. And our hearts long for that. And will that be a long time? Will that be 25 years? Will that be 35 years? Will that be longer? Yeah, it's likely. Do we trust and believe that Jesus is returning to take his people home? to live with him in the kingdom of heaven eternally, to be with God where there's no more pain and no more evil and no more lawlessness and no more wickedness, no more. It's going to be gone. 
because this is what our God has promised. And we can put our full faith and hope and trust in the one who is the way and the truth and the life. The one whose name is faithful and true. He is so good. He does not give up on those whom he loves. And he loves us so greatly. Let's pray. God, I am so glad that you are the one who chooses. Because in your choosing, this shows, this proves your love for us. Your choosing brought Abraham out from the wilderness, out from paganism, and into a relationship with you. And we see that Abraham responded in faith, that you called him out from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he followed you right away. He followed you. And he went with you. And he was changed by you. He still struggled with sin, sometimes greatly in sin, which would cause a rift in his marriage and a split from the line of Abraham from the covenant. But you are still faithful to your covenants and there will still be a child of the promise in Isaac. And Isaac would have a son and this offspring would all be part of an everlasting covenant that you make because you are so good to your people. You are so good and so faithful to your word. Lord, when you say something, we can believe it. And we can hold on to it in the waiting and we can be patient in the waiting because we are confident, not in our ability to wait, not in our own abilities, but our confidence is in the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who is coming back to take your people home. Help us to be faithful, Holy Spirit. Teach us to rely on you, to rely on our God for all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue with the end of chapter 17.